everybody. I'm your host, Austin, and this is the Prepared Mindset Podcast. Got another awesome interview coming at you all this week. Uh, and, and this week, I got to connect with Josh Derringer, who is uh, the, the owner, founder of Survive First Contact uh, LLC out in Virginia. Uh, I will genuinely say this is probably one of the most informative um, and educational episodes that I have done since I launched this podcast about two years ago. So uh, super, super good discussion. A lot of really good information. Uh, Josh brings a a wealth of knowledge, experience, insight. Uh, He's a former Green Beret. Uh, He's been to several schools and and really just uh, just an awesome guy and willing to, to share you know everything that that he knows and has been through, willing to share it with with anyone that's interested in learning and and genuinely passionate about uh, about teaching, uh, educating the the common man, so to speak, right? That wants to just be more prepared, wants to put themselves in a uh, a better situation and, and increase their own survivability. So it, it was a just a genuinely awesome conversation. Uh, really, really enjoyed having him on. I think you guys are really going to dig it too. Uh, so. We're going to get to that in just a second here, but just like always, I have to take the time here and say thank you to our sponsor. This is a sponsored podcast after all, uh, and that is EclipseHolsters.com. Guys, uh, if you're looking for a new holster, if you have a loved one, uh, a friend, right, somebody's got a birthday coming up, graduation present, whether it's college, uh, high school, whatever, you need a good quality holster if you're going to carry a gun, whether that's outside the waistband, inside the waistband, whatever. You need to carry securely. You need something that's going to help you carry securely and confidently, and Eclipse can help you do that. They hooked us up with a discount code, Prepared Mindset, all one word. It's going to save you guys 20% off of your order. You spend over $100. They're going to upgrade you to free FedEx two-day shipping, which is badass. On top of that, they're going to make sure that your order, okay, made just for you, is out the door on its way to you in three business days or less. And that's just, that's top of market service in my mind. I mean, find somebody else that can guarantee that. I think you'd, you'd try you'd, you'd try pretty hard and you'd probably fail. So Jess and her team uh, at Eclipse, they do outstanding work and they do just amazing, amazing, amazing in the realm of customer service. If you guys are looking for a holster, mag carrier, uh, maybe you're, you know, you added a light to your pistol or removed a light uh, from your pistol, pick up a new holster, right? They're serious. Light bearing holsters are outstanding. That's what I carry with appendix every day with the discrete carry concepts clip on it. Absolutely love that clip. Um, mag pouches, dump trays, right? Keep your shit organized. Like I have crap everywhere here. Uh, I got pens, I got paper, I got notes and keys and my phone and everything. You know, dump trays are awesome to help you, you know, keep you organized on your desk, your workbench, whatever have you. Eclipse has all of it. Need a new belt? They carry core belts. Core essentials belts are outstanding options for concealed carry. Again, our discount code, prepared mindset, all one word, is going to save you 20% off. Go hook yourself up with some new gear. Get a great quality holster from an awesome company that has a lifetime guarantee and an awesome warranty to boot. So clipsholsters.com, head over, check them out today. Okay, that's all I got. Uh, we are going to, well, I'm going to stop running my suck. We're going to get over to my discussion with Josh Derringer, the owner of Survive First Contact LLC. Hope you guys enjoy it. Check it out. Josh, how's it going, man? Hey, man, I'm doing well. How are you? 
I'm good. You know, I feel like when I do, anytime I have these pods uh, that start like right after you get off work, it's always like those days that just drive you up the wall, you know, and then it's like a mad dash to get here, but I'm good. I'm, I'm happy you're on. Uh, I know we talked a little bit about honestly a few different things. So uh, it's be cool to kind of unpack it all for the listeners here. Yeah, man. Good stuff. Um, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Cool. Yeah. Thanks, man. Uh, I'm Josh Derringer, I'm the owner of Survive First Contacts, an entity uh, I started uh, in 2020. A um, little bit of my background, um, prior Army, uh, did just under 13 years there, uh, some time in intelligence, and then most of my time uh, in Special Forces, SF, uh, all my time with 5th Special Forces. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about your background, huh? 5th Special Forces Group out of Fort Campbell, uh, some multiple deployments uh, to Middle East. Um, on a special reconnaissance detachment that was our specialty. Um, I'm currently living in Virginia. Uh, wifey is still active duty. Um, she's working at the Army JAG school. It's at UVA here. Uh, and I'm government That's contract cool. we get the moment. Yeah. So yeah, it all works out. It's a great town. Uh, we're both happy in the work we're doing now. And uh, I'm running the business. Uh, it's my passion, what I like to do, continue to share knowledge. And I don't want my skills to atrophy since separating from the Army. Um, Spent a ton right. of money on me and I enjoyed it. So it's like, let's keep it going and be able to give it to other people. So yeah, definitely perishable skills, right? If you don't, uh, yes. if you don't use it, you lose it. Yes. <laughs> it's, so, yeah. Do you guys ever get the question? So your, your wife's in the army JAG school or yes. right? Lisa, yeah. Mm-hmm. Is it just like the TV show JAG? <laughs> uh, I wish it was that organized and dramatic. Uh, most oh. of it, you know, most of the stuff that people get charged with in the military, I don't want to say is boring because they're breaking the law. But a lot of it's yeah. just, it's nonsense. Like you That's glamorous. Yeah. 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 <laughs> well, it's all got to get done. So, I mean, it's still cool. And obviously I'm, I'm sure you're, the wife is very understanding then of everything that you do having, you know, a very similar lifestyle and whatnot. So that's, that's cool. Having that support system there is vital. Uh, and all I do is run a podcast, you know, so, and I appreciate that she's, you know, super understanding of what I do. Um, but okay. So let's kind of jump in because there's a couple of things I really want to talk about once I found out, you know, kind of what your background with, with reconnaissance was right. Yeah. Um, so with that, um, and I checked out your website a little bit, uh, you know, sniper school, you've, you've taught uh, sniper or I guess long distance shooting. I hate using the term sniper. I think it's like really over, you know, overdone people throw yeah. around a lot and usually incorrectly too. Um, sure. <laughs> so let's let's get into that because I feel like right now the one thing we see on social media more than probably anything else is got hashtag recce rifle hashtag recon you know and I'm guilty of it like I'll, I'll own that like I, I do it but let's talk about a, a little bit at least you know what goes into the actual skill set around what makes that applicable? You know, what's, what's involved with reconnaissance that I think the average person, you know, doesn't really understand, uh, you know, where that all comes together. Sure. Um, and yeah, to kind of start, you know, with the whole, the sniper thing being overused, uh, I agree. Um, you you know, a lot of people throw around sniper rifle, um, and that's fine, but it's, it's the, you know, it's the application of the person, right? A person is a sniper, whatever rifle he's carrying rifle is just a rifle, you know, that's what it is. You know, a sniper carrying it, it is now a sniper rifle. He's a senior trained marksman 
you know, that can apply precision fires at great distance and apply field craft. Uh, that's the definition of a sniper versus something like a designated marksman. So e even that, uh, there's a little bit of a difference uh, from a traditional military perspective. Like designated marksman is, a you know, an infantry guy who's in a squad and maybe he's using a regular M4 and maybe he's the only one that has a can on it. And maybe he's the only one that has a magnified optic. He's the DM, he's the designated marksman. So if something has to be observed at distance or they have to put more precision fire on something, he's the best shot there. That's his territory with that respect. Versus, yeah, it, um, and I'm glad you 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 went into that because I was going to ask him. So what is what is the difference then between it? I mean, I would have just you know I never served, so I don't know. But I think a lot of people roll it up into one. You know the the concept uh, like a DMR. Everyone learns the acronyms. Yeah, DMR, SPR, sniper rifle. It's like, but we don't actually know what it what it means um i'm sorry go ahead uh, keep going yeah, and, and that's all good man um and that's exactly the point um slightly less training but that is the army or the military's way of uh putting some advanced equipment at the smaller unit like the squad or the platoon level uh so when guys are out walking you know doing their regular thing they have a little bit of extra capability they can observe further they can put shots on something a little bit further um it, it's just plussing up the capability within that that small unit um, so that they, they can have that effect if they need to, uh, or, you know, they can reach down and be, and be employed that way because they have the special equipment, maybe a little bit of extra training. Okay. And so that's, that's for designated marksmen then. Correct. Now so somebody who's a trained sniper. Yes. Uh, so no reason a designated marksman, uh, can't, can't be sniper qualified. Sniper is a school. It's a designation. Uh, it's a skill that, uh, at least from the army side, you go and get a designator on your job that says, Hey, I've been to a sniper course, um, this one versus that one. Um, and, and the difference there, uh, is you are specifically trained in field craft. So the field craft portion being, um, uh, camouflage, you know, construction of a ghillie suit, construction of hide sites, um, and then stalking, being able to stalk within certain distance of a target, mainly a target that is actively looking for you with a magnified optic. And then you being able to, uh, you know, at least from army school perspective, stalk in within 200 meters, shoot twice, identify what an instructor is holding the placard or the letter. If you've seen any, like the sniper school videos, um, mm -hmm. you identify a letter, um, uh, someone gets within a couple meters of you with a flag and, uh, like they're walking near your position and then the guy on glass, you know, gives them steps forward and back left. They're basically looking for you and they're going to identify something on your body. Maybe you used a vegetation that didn't match or a leaf has flipped over in the wind and the light side is up, you know, lots of little stuff uh, that a trained observer is looking for. So they basically 360 around you, see if they can find you. If not, you shoot a second time. If they still can't see you, they're like, Hey, you're good to go stock back out. And they're still watching for you. Um, but yeah, that's the idea behind a sniper. He's, he's trained in, in long range precision marksmanship, uh, and he knows how to employ and maintain all that equipment specifically. And then he's trained in field craft so that the camouflage, the hide site, um, the stalking, and then it's a lot more focused on small unit movement. So you, you take a typical, like uh, reconnaissance and surveillance to reconnaissance and security team. Uh, it might only be a couple of guys. There might be two guys as opposed to you know, uh, being in a, a team, a squad, something larger where you have a larger element for security and both sustainment. Uh, so kind of all that together, the precision, long range marksmanship, uh, the field craft and the ability to function in a smaller unit, uh, more or less supporting yourself. You're carrying it all in and you're carrying it all out. Um, and it, it's on you at that point. So that's kind of the once over the world. So what we see a lot with then, you know, people that 
maybe know a little bit less like myself, the term recce rifle, does that actually, is that actually an applicable term or is it really truly more of the correct term in these applications would be something like a SPR, right? Cause it's a five, five, six gun. You're really not going to maximize distance. Most of us aren't trained in actual, you know, um, marksmanship skills to be, sure. to use a, a very broad term. Um, because what, as a sniper is that, I don't know. What are the rules around that? Or the guides, I guess, around that? Is that always like a 308 gun? You guys, I mean, uh, what kind of glass? You know, I mean, like, I would assume high magnification, but I also, I, I really don't know. Yeah. Uh, so traditionally, um, your sniper, your sniper team at a minimum, usually going to be two guys, shooter and a spotter. Uh, between those two, generally, the spotter is going to be the more experienced guy uh, because the hardest part uh, about the whole thing is spotting and calling the wind um, because the, the wind really- is, you know, it really is. And I, <clears throat> I've only shot distance a couple of times. And when I gave the, my buddy, the rifle, I was like, yeah, man, go for it, you know, whatever. And I had to hold the spotting scope, dude. I struggled just to find right. the target downrange. I was like, okay, give me a minute here. And I thought it'd be easy as hell. It really, it really isn't. Uh, I think everyone has the, the illusion that the spotter is the guy that doesn't know, you know, doesn't know shit about shit. So that's why he's got the scope and the other guy's got the gun. Yeah. Uh, for that one specifically, um, in general sense, you know, the, the, the shooter is definitely not an idiot, but if you're going to divide it between the two, the shooter sure. is the monkey doing this. Um, yeah. he's taking, well, you know, it, that's really what it is. You know, it doesn't take a ton to teach somebody how to manipulate a trigger without disturbing iron sights or an optic or whatever it is, you know, set up a shooting position, get True. ready to place fire on something that that is what it is. It's fundamentals. Um, but your but your spotter uh, he, he's playing multiple roles roles right so usually he's the more senior dude um, he's not on a gun so he's out of the headspace of engaging somebody so his his job is observation um, and then talking a shooter onto targets characterizing targets because uh, remember the shooter's got to lug this rifle around he might be on his belly or on shooting sticks um, spotting scope generally set up is on like a big swivel head um, mm-hmm. so as the spotter I can sit there and I can cruise around. Um, uh, a decent thing to do that I've seen before. If you get a spotting scope that has rails on it, I've seen guys store red dots on them. I've used them as well. Uh, so as opposed to going right to magnifying glass and trying to see something at 20 power, 30 power magnification when you're, you know, you're burning a really direct hole, but if your target's just out of the picture, you're not going to see it and you're fishing around. So you can almost take, uh, something like a small red dot, uh, uh, yeah. Like an RDS, like a pistol RDS or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then you can basically zero it just the same like you would. So now on top of my spotting scope, I can cruise around. I can put the red dot and the gross area, and then I can go to glass and start doing my adjustments. It just puts me on targets more quickly. I always wondered about that. I never understood. I was like, why would you need a red dot on the scope? You have a scope. You know, I, I just didn't. It makes sense once you explain it that way. And yeah. thinking about the, the struggles I've had uh, with a spotting scope, that makes way more sense. Uh I could not figure that out for life of me before. Uh, and I've seen it in a couple like uh, movies, TV shows, whatever, some pictures online. Yeah. Um, so that, that actually makes a, a shocking amount of sense. <laughs> yeah. and, um, and it's just, a, oh, go ahead, man. Sorry. Yeah. No, go for it. I'll say, and it's just a, a speed and efficiency thing, you know, um, because if I can do that, I can I quick get on target. Same thing. If he has a long gun set up with a red dot, even on top, even though it's tall and clunky, he can mm-hmm. quick put the red dot on something, then go to magnifying glass. And that's actually what would be in part of the sniper spotter verbiage. Um, I'm looking, I'll say, hey, look by eye, 
you know, this direction. And then I start describing what I'm seeing so I can, I can hone him into what he's going to need to engage. Um, so it's usually like, hey, by eye, look for this. He said, yep, I got it by eye. We both say go to glass. And now we're both in the glass game of, mm -hmm. of zooming and zooming out. I'm talking about what I see. Um, probably have a, a, a range finder so I can I can range it, give him the range. He either has a range finder on him or can, you know, measure a target with a mill relation formula. So we can both pull range that way. Um, so it's basically confirming each other. It's like, hey, yeah, yeah. We, we confirmed he's at this distance or whatever it is that we're engaging. Um, yeah. And then watching for the wind. Uh, spotter's giving him the data, like trajectory data. Usually it's spotter and shooter both have tra trajectory data on hand, either, you know, paper dope or like a, a ballistic Kestrel. They usually both have it, but since the shooter's buried in the gun, uh, waiting for the commands, spotter's usually got the data. It's like, okay, this target's at this distance, either dial to whatever or hold above the target, whatever set amount. Then he's watching for the wind. Um, and that's the, that's the part that atrophies the most is the ability to read the wind. Um, oh, really? Because, yes. Uh, far and wide, it's the hardest thing uh, for, for sniper application, especially guys who don't do it often. Uh, mm -hmm. On a little aside, I really enjoyed that the Marine Corps has a dedicated sniper MOS because there is so much that goes into it. And it, it really is a, a specific craft. And it, like anything else, it goes away. Um, and doing something like reading the wind, something that you can't physically see, um, you're taking, you know, just environmental cues. There's, there's grass blowing, there's leaves. Uh, you can actually look at the angle, uh, that the mirage is coming off the ground. Um, and, okay, and that, I didn't know that. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. yeah so you on a, uh, not even a hot day, but any surface that's heating up, right. Um, as that heat is rising off the ground, uh, the sun, the sun is coming through, uh, those, those waves of light and it's bending. Uh, so what you can do with a spotting scope, you know, usually you can look through a spotting scope and you're like, okay, my target is clear. You can basically take your adjustment on your spotting score with rifle glass and turn it just so it's slightly blurred and you that it'll clear up the mirage doing it that way. And the mirage will actually move with the wind. So like what we call a boiling mirage is something like, it'll just kind of look like that. It's not really moving, but as mm -hmm. the wind speed is moving left to right or whatever, that mirage will bend left and right. And you actually be able to see that in the spotting scope. So that is, I, I would never even have thought about that. I know uh, uh, I'm shopping right now actually for suppressor covers and yeah. I found a couple that are specific. They're only designed to help mitigate that mirage. Yes. Um, you know, and so, and I guess in, in some instances, you know, you want it, you don't, the, it's even just a consideration, right? Um, yeah. You know, I didn't even realize that that's, that's absolutely, I mean, it makes sense. Yeah. when you unpack it that way, but it, I would never have even thought to, to look at something like that, you yeah. know, and that's part of what I, I think it's, it's funny <clears throat> kind of jumping back right to what we see a lot of people post online is, um, you know, Oh, I threw a two and a half to 10 right on my rifle and I'm out rucking and, you know, get out and train. Don't be lazy. It's like, I agree with the message, but are you, do you really have the skills to be effective with that? You know, um, or even just talking about the red dot over the top of the scope. I know a lot of guys don't like it. Like, oh yeah, it's too clunky. It's too tall. You'll never use it. You should run a 45. But based off what you just explained, it sounds like that's like way more useful to be mounted over the top of the scope. If you're, it sounds like anyways, if your actual intended application is to be, you know, designated marksman um, or, or filling that role. Yeah. I mean, right or right or wrong. I mean, that, that that's how it sounds to me anyway. 
And it's and like any other piece of equipment, you know, it, it's how much are you willing to carry weight? Because the, the recce game, the recce game, sniper game, whatever we're going to call it, um, sure. it's, a, it's a thankless one. You get to carry the cool guy gun with the scope, uh, but the mm-hmm. cool guy gun with the scope, you know, probably weighs between 10 and 15 pounds, just the gun itself. Um, yep. You know, the ammo's heavier. Yeah, it's like carrying a gas gun in 308. That's heavy. It's got a can on it. It's got big glass on it. Um, carrying a bolt gun um, very well might be lighter. However, now you can't shoot as quickly if you need to engage something quickly or defend yourself. So which brings me into generally uh, the shooter is still carrying an M4 and the long gun is strapped on his pack. So it's like you, you're, you're already... You're adding up pounds real quick yeah. just, to be, just to be the guy who's got the scoped rifle. Like, I'm ready to shoot someone from far away and, and watch it happen. It's like, it's it's just a lot of preparation and carrying a lot of stuff. And usually for no shooting at all. Um, well, and you see you see a, a lot of guys start getting into this stuff, you know, oh, uh, the concept of, and I, I think this is a completely civilian concept, is the, the whole mini recce idea where guys just like take a 10.3, you know, whatever, like a, uh, CQBR upper, whatever Daniel rail and everything. And they yeah. throw like that new vortex one to 10 on it. I'm like, cool, man. Why? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's like, oh, well, cause I can bridge the gap or, you know, a lot of guys get a lot of heartburn over barrel length, you know, oh, 13, seven is, is, it gives you the best of everything. And, and I, I mean, and no disrespect to anybody in the military, I don't, necessarily think that the, what the military always does is hundred percent correct on things, but no. certainly has had a lot more practical application in this realm. Right. So if they're making their, you know, snipers or, or whatever, I mean, whatever term you want to use, right. Carry a 10, three, and then your 308 gun in a bag or whatever, like, don't you think that they've probably had enough field testing with that, that that's probably the route you want to go. If you actually intend on being effective, the way that you're advertising. Sure. And, it's just, it, it's kind of, I, I laugh at it a little bit. But sure. And a couple of things for that one. One, like the whole barrel length thing. That's absolutely a thing. Uh, if you want to shoot stuff at distance, longer barrel equals better. It equals more yeah. velocity, better ballistic stabilization. 5.56 five, is specifically designed to fly at a certain velocity. So it tumbles when it goes inside your body. If it is not moving fast enough, it's not going to do that tumbling action when it enters your body. Um, right. So, you know. 10, 10 inch gun, 12 inch gun, whatever. Great for CQB uh, because you don't need it to tumble. You're going to shoot someone 28 times if you come into a room and they're a threat to you. <laughs> yeah. I'd be like, man, I shot him once and that round didn't tumble. It's like, nope, I'm I'm hammering the threat. There's seven more that are going to get the job done. So it's going to be okay. Yes. And, and maneuverability is more important for me in that CQB environment than having three extra inches of barrel. I'm going to shoot it as many times I need to till it's dead. 10 inch barrel or 14 inch barrel doesn't matter. Um, well, and, and, you know, additionally, right. Having a scope like that indoors is probably is not ideal application for that either. I mean, you can crank it down to one power. It's not really going to be as, I guess it could be as quick as a red, as a regular red dot, probably not, um, smaller window, depending on things. Like I, I love, I like EOTech. I think for that yeah. application, it makes the most sense versus having to, you know, you can, well, you can throw an EOTech up, right. And you just grab that radical right away. You know, it's big, it's red, whatever. Um, I really found a scope comes into play and things like that. So really you start to kind of get into, you, you kind of talk yourself out of the, the one rifle for everything concept yes. um, pretty quickly when you start looking at, I, I think this is my opinion, you know, I'm sure there's guys that disagree with me, but I think you start talking yourself out of why you should do that pretty quickly. 
um, when you start looking at it from uh, a fact standpoint, breaking it down using, you know, logic to make your decisions instead of just, uh, you know, what looks cool. Um, And plus with a lot of these, you know, you're throwing a one to six, maybe a one to eight for long distance shooting. What, what did you typically use? I I Um, assume like a three to 15 or something. uh, Even more than that. Um, Before I I left the team, it was all um, Leopold scopes, uh, five to 20, five to 25. Uh, Mark fours and Mark sixes, both of them with uh, traditional Horus reticles and tremor reticles. Um, I liked shooting on high power. Uh, some guys don't because they're like, oh, it magnifies, you know, all those, all the minutia of movement that you're doing, your heartbeat, all that sure, stuff. Sure. When you're super zoomed in, um, all that stuff is magnified. However, um, huge advantage for you as the shooter, as well as a spotter, to be able to really zoom in on something and characterize what it is. Because uh, if you're in the sniper situation, so to speak, um, liabilities on you for that round shooting somebody and a commander on the other end of the radio Absolutely. Yeah. is relying on you to relay. I'm actually looking at what I'm looking at and can say, yes, that's a threat. Yes. That's a person from this group. Yes. They're armed. Yes. They're holding a cell phone to spot for IEDs. Like I need to be able to tell that stuff beyond a shadow of a doubt. Um, mm-hmm. and, and more magnification enables me to do that, whether I shoot on that magnification and that's up to the shooter. Um, but being able to zoom in and really see what the hell is going on. Um, is huge. And then the only thing I'll say with that, um, as far as the spotter is concerned, zoom in to characterize what the target is. And then I would say zoom out to probably half or two thirds of the magnification you think you need to be on to be able to catch uh, the full line of that trace. Uh, Cause if you zoom in, you know, you're really in on the target and you only catch the trace right at the end as it's falling mm-hmm. uh, and you don't get that the full flight path. Um, so that's just a, a little yeah. aside. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, and that's the other thing too, you mentioned just the, you know, the Horus and the, and the tremor is I don't think a lot of people really understand how much goes into, I mean, sort of like, and you know, what, what looks cool in the scope, right. When you're, when you're looking down at, um, certainly we probably all have a lot of experience with like call of duty and that, but, uh, understanding how much data you can actually pull out of your reticle, um, and how you can, I want to say lean on it, but utilize that in lieu of, uh, making actual adjustments you know, for yep. things accounting for windage and things like that. Um, you know, I have friends, uh, buddies that, that I've shot with and stuff and they, Oh, I don't need all that stuff. What's all that crap in there. I go, well, yep. here's the thing, man. <laughs> you don't, you don't always got to come off the scope and, and, and start putzing with stuff. You know, if it's a exceptionally windy day or, or something like, obviously if you're zeroing it, it makes sense. Um, but I think it's really overlooked. I think guys just, they buy whatever their favorite YouTube shooter um, tells them they should buy, which yep. I mean, okay, certainly to some application that, that might be fine. It yeah. might be. Um, but when you're really looking at, you're saying like five to 25 stuff like that, there's a lot out there from a lot of different companies. Uh, yes. Certainly because I think you start to, you get to a point where you're marketing more to hunters. And yep. there's one thing I've learned about hunting. It's that, man, there's 120 different companies to sell you anything and everything. And they will promise that you're going to get that buck. So whether it's yep. a scope or, you know, whatever, a Kestrel or a different spotting scope or better binoculars, like, man, they love to take advantage of hunters. Of course. Yeah. And, and that's the game, you know, if they're in sales uh, and, you know, to be fair, most of those salespeople are not precision shooters, precision marksmen, or, you know, grandiose hunters for that. I mean, they could be, and that's the sure. Um, but that's not their game. They make money selling stuff to you. 
Uh, so they can spend their money on hunting stuff if that's their prerogative. No, they're usually idiots in my experience. I I think I probably told this story before, but I, when I bought, I bought a six, five Creedmoor. I got a Weatherby just to, you know, shoot a little distance with I didn't know if I was going to want to hunt with it or not. And I picked up the Vortex Viper PST, the three to 15. And I'm like, all right, cool. I took it there. Like, Hey, we do free boar sighting and mounting. If you buy it here, like that's, that's terrific. Cool. And uh, long story short, um, I was definitely there four and a half hours for, uh, you know, different reasons. And then when I got home and I'm like, you know, you're kind of like drooling a little bit, like, oh, I'm gonna check this out. It's mounted up, whatever. I pull it out. This asshole put fucking blue Loctite on the scope rings, like in the rings, um, not just the screws for him. He put it on the rail where he mounted the rings. And so, and obviously then all the screws and hardware, so much of it that I was I had blue Loctite, thank God it was still wet, dripping into the uh, the bolt and firing chamber on a gun that's never been fired. I threw a fucking fit. Um, so anybody yeah. listening, like, learn how to do that shit yourself and don't go to Cabela's to get your shit bore sighted or mounted because for what that guy did and as much time as I spent there, I could have YouTubed it. And then when I got to the range, we took two, like, four foot by two foot, but four foot by two foot targets and put them out at 100 yards. Yeah. Um, and you know, sideways. So basically you got like eight feet of target. Yeah. And I centered the reticle on the rightmost target. And after I broke that first shot, it was slightly low and left of the left target. Yeah. And like like it wasn't even close. I'm like you, I would have been better off just spinning the knobs random and going yep. for it. Like yep. it was just it was absolutely fucking awful. Um but I digress. Uh, that, that's my story about, you know, people don't know shit trying to sell people scopes. Um, sure. So hmm. what, how did you end up getting involved in, in that kind of training? Is it something where I know, and I've heard both sides of things. Like I was just told this is what it's going to be. Yeah. And that's how I ended up. And I liked it. Or I've also talked to people where they're like, well, I really wanted to do this, you know? So how did, I guess if we can back up a little bit, how did you end up in a position to learn all of that? Yeah. Um, so before I joined the army, um, I worked for my, my father and dad owned a, a sporting clays range in upstate New York, in Buffalo, where I grew up. Badass. Um, so I grew up shooting a shotgun. I grew up swinging a gun, so to speak, you know, moving mm-hmm. targets, long gun, New York's terrible handgun laws. So never, dad had a couple handguns, uh, never shot them. Just never really wasn't a thing that we did. You know, we hunted you know, deer hunted and then upland bird hunted, did a lot of like, uh, belonged to a pheasant club, a handful of years, um, got kind of lots of bird hunting. Um, so did that, but I really got into the whole, like I'm sneaking around the woods, like built a ghillie suit when I was like 13 years old. It was horrendous. Like, what was I thinking? Yeah, exactly. But you just don't know. It's like, you, you, you know, the 13 or 14 year old me saw the, saw the, the Tom Berenger sniper movie in the jungle, you know? And I'm like, man, I'm going to be the ghillie Yeti but, and walk around the woods you know and no one's going to find me. That is still way cooler. You did that at 13, as bad as it probably was, like way more ingenuity than the 13 year old that probably went and bugged his dad to go to Cabela's and buy him one. You know? Yeah. So, I mean, kudos to you for the the effort, but, uh, <laughs> but go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, and, and that's all good. And I just, you know, looked at a lot of websites for whatever was up at the time. Usually it was like either chat rooms or, you know, threads. I you know the, the whole sniper's hide's been around for a minute. Um, mm-hmm. that might've been around back then, but I was going through with guys like that. Um, because you know, it was Oh three, Oh four. It was like height of invasion time for Iraq, Afghanistan. Right. 
Right. Uh, and I'm a 9-11 baby from New York, not the city, but close enough. And it was like, this is this what I want to do. I, close I, to home, yeah. I, I was in the army nine days after turning 18. On the 10th morning, I, I shipped. I was like, I'm out of here. Uh, I delayed enlisted uh, in January of my senior year of high school. They were like, here's your, you know, your, your scholarship to play rugby. And I was like, no, thanks. I already signed. Like, I'm out of here. Um, and in wow. hindsight, that's really good because the, the partying and things, I definitely did not underage in the army um i would have done <laughs> college which means yeah. i wouldn't have graduated and i would have had bills uh so 18 to 22 yeah. year old me was not ready to spend that kind of money and then not get a degree also <laughs> mm -hmm. um that was a good decision but uh yeah as far as that one yeah like hunting that, that's what i enjoyed the most i liked walking around the woods i liked doing camo stuff you know i was the kid running around with my face painted in the neighborhood you know it's like what are you doing like you know doing camo stuff Honey, the weird kids outside again. That's exactly what it was. <laughs> the weird kid, the gun kid in New York of all places. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, around that time, I think people were probably a little, people were a little more patriotic. It probably wasn't as bad, you know, yeah. 90s and stuff like, well, maybe not. Um, it hit, or, hit or miss. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> yeah right me into the army. Uh, I came in as intelligence and enjoyed that. Um but I was just like, man, I like doing all the outdoor stuff. I like doing land navigation. I liked going to the range. Um, I quickly realized that the way the army trains people, uh, for people who don't want to master the craft or don't enjoy it, the army gives them enough to read off the slide and say steps one through six, and then yell them at you if you don't understand. Um, and then they Good. usually can't can't explain, you know, to you know, be able to be able to talk two questions deep. Uh, they couldn't about any like the field craft stuff. And I was frankly kind of disappointed. I was like, this is this is the army. It's supposed to be, you know, TV people in foxholes, you know, they're heating their food in a, a metal cup, whatever food they're eating. And they're, they're all tuned into, you know, nature and their guns and their buddies. And it just wasn't like that um, yeah. in Intel. So I was like, well, the only thing the unit can't stop me from doing is going to SF selection. So I did that. I really didn't, wasn't even sure what SF did. I just knew it was the only thing that my unit was set to deploy again. Uh, meaning there was a fence around personnel. So it means nobody can leave the unit because you're slotted to deploy. Uh, yep. Yep. Makes um, sense. And SF selection was the only thing that they couldn't tell me. No, uh, SF has that ability. It's like, you can go, you, you can try out. out. Yeah. Uh, right. So I didn't made it. Uh, I trained physically and I made it. So that was my thing. Uh, so through the Q course, uh, did the Q course, got to my team, uh, told my team sergeant, I was like, Hey, I love long gun stuff. I like snooping and pooping in the woods. Um, he was like, okay. <laughs> you know, do, do a deployment, come back, you go to sniper school. And I was like, done. Uh, did a deployment to Turkey. Um, didn't do any shooting there because the nature of the mission we had was terrible. Um, but we got back and he's like, you're going to sniper school. I'm like, great, let's go. Thank God, um, yeah. Been, been waiting for this. Uh, right. <laughs> Finally. So, yes. Uh, so went and did that. It was a great time. Ton of, huge wealth of knowledge of the instructors, the sniper instructors down at Fort Bragg. Um, you know, like a, a Olympic medalist type shooter guys there, plus guys that have been in the army 20, 30, 40 years before us. And in SF or in uh, superior tier one units, whatever we're going to call sure. them out in the open. Sure. Um, yeah. Guys that had those experiences in the past were all the instructors. So th those are the guys teaching us how to shoot. Those are the guys teaching us how to employ camouflage and how to stalk. Those are the guys teaching us like, hey, when you're looking for someone who's trying to do this to you, here's what you're looking for. Uh, like counter sniper stuff was super interesting. Uh, and it really puts you in a mindset of um, if I don't do field craft well, 
I'm going to die because someone who has this training is going mm-hmm. to bust me. And when you get busted doing that stuff, like that, that's it. Um, so it really puts you in the headspace of think about if you were hunting, you doing this, what would you be looking for and how would you be reacting? And it's like, oh man, I'm better at this than everybody else. Uh, so it doesn't what, would that, what would some of those be like some of those field craft skills? Cause I feel like we get a lot of attention, like kind of what you were saying, right? A lot of people are like, and I'm the same way. Like I love the guns. I love the gear. Like it's, it's all good. Um, but the software, the skills that come with it, you know, especially once you get out of the urban suburban environments where we're all kind of very at home, um, fitting into the woods, what are some of those skills that people just more than likely overlook? Um, so I'd say probably, probably one of the biggest parts and it goes for pretty much any combat skill, but even for like sniping and stalking, all that stuff specifically, uh, is map reading and land navigation. Uh, and I don't, I and (laughs) how there's more than one North and people don't know that like me when I went and did it and you get lost really. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's, it's innocent in a training environment. And if you're a civilian, you know, whatever. Um, But for, for those of us who live, try to live like the prepared ready lifestyle with what we do and our equipment um, you know, getting lost, like something in the woods, maybe not a huge deal unless it's dark or it's winter or you get hurt out there while you're doing it. So it's like the, the cascade of things that can be prevented by the software, like you said, knowing this stuff, I'm preventing situations that I would bring upon myself otherwise. Um, but the the navigation piece, and if you think about it from a sniper's perspective, he and one other guy or two, three other guys, whatever, you're a small element, right? So you're already overly exposed. Mm-hmm. Um, you're probably not helicoptering in, you're probably walking your happy ass somewhere, carrying all your stuff. Um, and you're, you're carrying a lot of stuff and it's still not enough. You know, you're not carrying comfort items. You're carrying stuff to keep you dry, stuff to keep you warm, equipment to be able to observe. Uh, and a hint, all observation stuff is heavy cameras, spotting scopes, tripods. None of it's like light and dainty. There's not the nature of it. Yeah. Cause light and dainty means not durable. Yes, exactly. Yeah. The old Jurassic park thing is it heavy. Yeah. And they're expensive. Put them down. (laughs) Those crappy night vision goggles. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, no, it's true. I mean, you very, very seldom with anything, right? With anything, do you, you can tell like if it's heavy, it, it, the the quality, you can feel it. You know, yes. whether it's a pocket knife or, or, or a scope or any of it, yeah, you can tell when you're getting cheap shit, and cheap shit yeah. don't last. So, and, and that's and one aside besides the land nav thing, which we'll get back to, I swear, circle around this thing. Yeah, um, Jen Saki will circle back. Um, nice. Man, threw myself off with the Jensaki comment. Um, but yeah, so so you're overly exposed. You're carrying too much stuff. And you're three or four guys, right? Um, mm-hmm. So even though you have all this cool stuff, you're not looking for a fight. You're not looking for anybody to happen upon you um, because a gunfight with 20 guys is is still not great. But a gunfight with four guys, uh, you're, you're already in in the bad part of that situation you know the uh the old ranger handbook says that you want a three to one ratio to decisively overtake and destroy an enemy so as three dudes if you happen upon more than you know six or seven people you're in deep shit and by the way you're carrying heavy stuff so you're slower and you're more cumbersome and you're loud um and like i said you got a gun strapped to your bag you probably don't have as much ammo you know hopefully you have enough in your main battle rifle which might be your your 10 inch gun that you're just mm-hmm. walking through the woods with to get up to the target to be able to do reconnaissance but you're carrying your m4 in case you got to sling some scun in and then leave because something went badly and you never even got to use your cool guy scoped gun that's just how that is 
Right, um, right. So you're, you're carrying all this stuff, too much stuff. It's too heavy to maneuver with. You don't want to be found. Um, and you're probably not going to be able to sustain or resupply from where you are. So you have to walk out to get things where, where people might leave them for you. You get a resupply from your unit or now you're into trying to forge off the land, basically. So being able to purify your own water, um, hopefully you're carrying enough food. Um, it's just a, a really thankless, uncomfortable game of I'm going to carry a lot of stuff and I'm mm-hmm. going to be overly exposed. And what I'm getting back around to with the land nav thing, uh, land navigation and map reading. If you if you know there is danger somewhere, which if in the military sense, if you're doing reconnaissance, you you're looking for something like it's there. You're looking for it. That's right. your that's your goal. Um, so looking at a route and planning a route based off a map and terrain features so that you, and especially if you're the lead of those three, four guys, whatever, walking them through terrain that hopefully is going to mask your movement, um, mask the sound of your movement, uh, basically make it more survivable throughout this whole uh, shitty, sweaty, carrying heavy stuff mission of we have to survive the walk without, without getting busted and without getting dead. We have to be able to get set up somewhere enough so that we can sustain ourselves, you know, be able to eat, be able to do basic hygiene stuff, a rest plan. If you're going to be there, you know, more than a day, um, yeah. find a site, you do that. And then you have to send guys out, you know, to move around this target and not only not get busted, but be able to uh, observe and record needed information and either bring it back, radio it back, whatever the means of communication is, um, and then walk out, you know, the same way you came in or, or a different way. Um that's the whole thing. So being able to do land navigation, using the terrain to mask your movement, I would say is more important than being able to camouflage yourself. Um, it, that's just what it is. I, you've seen the photos. I continually reshare the guy that painted himself blue with my sniper course, sniper course <laughs> class. Um, he painted himself blue. Yes. There's a photo deep down in my, in my yeah. post and I'll, I'll reshare it. But anyways, um, the guy bet the instructor is on his final stock. He had maxed out all the stocks, meaning he stocked in, shot twice, never got busted, stocked out. And mm-hmm. uh, they're like, you know, this guy, they're like, if, if you make it, you know, well, shit, you're not going to max out all these stocks. And he's like, I'll, I'll raise the stakes. I'll paint myself blue and stock in my underwear and you will not see me. And sure as shit, he did it. Um, that's so, and- that's what an epic flex. Like, yes. This photo is still out there for anybody. Anybody goes to the Q course, goes to Fort Bragg, goes out to range 37. His photo is on the wall. We made a plaque for the instructors and it's the photo of the students. And there he is in front painted blue. And they have the quote from him because one of the, uh, the field craft instructors got really emotional with like pissed off that he did this because he shot twice, stalked out to the edge of the boundary of where it was in play. And then he stood up and these people just started fuming because he's sweaty. You know, it's June in North Carolina. He's covered in blue paint. Yeah. That's running. And yeah. Just like get, get over here, like shaking mad. And one of the instructors was so mad, you know, he's stuttering, he's spitting and he goes, you, you, you think this is a game? And uh, this is the quote that's on the plaque. He said, do you think this is a game? And he said, well, you put us on the clock and you give us points. So kind of. Oh God. Yeah. I'm sure that didn't go over well at all, but I mean, uh, his, his photos out there and the guy's a legend. And, and to the point, uh, he used his map. He walked in low ground through draws, um, stayed in low ground pretty much the entire time. And just, you know, from definitely from low ground with his tripod, peaked his sticks up above low ground and shot like from kneeling basically. So mm-hmm. only exposing, you know, here to here. Um, he basically built himself a sniper hotel, had his shears, had a saw, cut up a bunch of vegetation and placed it in front and all around him. Uh, 
So he basically built himself a, a hide site uh, wearing no camouflage at all, painted body paint blue. Shot once, the instructor walked over within, you know, 10, 15 feet of him, and they fished around, could not find him. Uh, but the crazy. whole point was using that terrain way better than being like walking, trying to Elmer Fudd it, be really sneaky and be fully camoed. Movements right. will pick up the easiest. Uh, so you can be camoed your ass off, but if you get caught moving, you're dead. And I did, by the way, uh, one of my stocks. Uh, I came up looking in the wrong direction because I I misread a portion of my map. And I'm like, all right, the guys are looking for me are over here. And I'm looking mm-hmm. and I like stand up and I hear freeze because the instructor saw me. He found you, and I yeah. just turned 45 and, and there they are clear as day. There's no cover in between us. And the walkers coming. I, mean, I just took off my hat. I'm like, he sees me, man. Like I'm standing out here in the open. Totally on the screwed. edge of this hillside sun's cooking me i was looking in the wrong direction i wasn't moving through stuff like i should um but yeah the land like as simple as that the land nav portion well, stay that's in the, the ground that's the stuff that you know like people don't know how to read maps they don't know how, they don't even understand they don't understand how to read topography to understand elevation um and i think a lot of people think they're going to get away with you know the what do you call it the the garmin you know the little thing that they usually clip on your shoulder uh mm-hmm. strap or whatever your carrier or your chest rig or uh, the you can you know the flip down for your cell phone. You can run the ATAC app or something, um, yeah. which is sweet. Both of those are oh, really yeah. good. ATAC is awesome. Um, great, great program. I love that it's civilian, you know, accessible and everything. And you do all yeah. kinds of goofy shit in there until you lose cell cell reception, and then it becomes a big fucking problem. Um, yeah. I know because we did it out. Uh, I went with my buddy last fall, uh, just scouting for, uh, you know, hunting, uh, blind locations and stuff, looking at, yeah. um, you know, scouting, uh, looking for a couple different, uh, areas that his uncle was up there and it found like sheds and stuff like that, whatever. Um, and there were like, sometimes it was fine. And then there's other times, like, I can't get this fucking thing to refresh for like 20 minutes at a time. And as we're just walking, you yes. know, and then it, it all of a sudden it'll refresh and you got a totally new map in front of you. Um, I think a lot of people rely on, on technology for a bunch of this. They're like, well, I know how to use it. So I'll be fine. Like, well, I mean, you could be, or you could be, you know, six kinds of fucked and then you're just gonna have to figure it out. Yes. Right. Right. Um, Yeah. To me at the end of it, learning all the, learning all the skills and like pushing the basics. Um, it, it wasn't because, you know, 18 year old me knew everything. Right. Um, yeah. so it wasn't because I genuinely believed a lot of the older generation, you know, just coming into the army, like you got to learn the basic stuff. This is all basic stuff you need to know. You're like, yeah, okay, whatever. Um, but, but, but once I was in for a few and I realized learning these skills for myself might mm-hmm. be able to pull myself out of a shit situation, even if I got myself into it, uh, to say, I can read a map. I know where I started from. I know where home base is. If I'm in hostile territory and my GPS goes out. I know I'm just going to turn my Mac upside down and turn around and I'm going to navigate back. Like that's my ticket home. And then, you know, the same with like medical training, if all goes badly because the plan didn't go as planned because someone got shot or injured, I'm not going to say like, Oh, it's just, it wasn't a cool thing to know. I'm like, this is what is going to help get me or other dudes home. So that's, that's the basics for me, be able to do um, the basic stuff, the analog stuff. If you have the digital great, employ it, but, but also learn it before you employ it. You know, we've had, you know, like field service reps out on deployment. They come out with a piece of equipment. They're like, Hey, you guys need to try this. And it's like, okay, put it down. Like, aren't you going to carry it with you? I'm like, no, this is not going to be the first day that I live action this thing while lives could be at stake. Like, nope. 
I didn't rehearse with it. I didn't drill with it. It can stay in the truck. Like I'm not messing with it today. Wait, so you, you had guys come out. This is during a deployment. They wanted you just like on the fly. Hey man, uh, I know you haven't really played with this before, but go ahead and give it a shot. Yes. And and you got to think, man, oh, again, man. it's there. It, you know, these companies, Raytheon, Northrop Grumman, whatever, they develop a device and, and it probably mm-hmm. is semi well-informed. And there's probably been guys who have given their inputs in the process, but, you know, generally still engineers and scientists, right? They're like, Hey, we got your inputs and this thing should work exactly the way you guys told us you needed it to. And here's what we come up with. And it's like, that's great, dude. This is either for at home or later when I'm back on the fire base, I can click through this and say, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, that's BS. Oh, all this is way too complicated for my critical stress gorilla brain to operate without thousands of reps. So this yeah. is going to stay safely in the bag, in, in the box that you gave it to me. And I might mm-hmm. mess with this sometimes or I'll train with it, you know, at home right. when there's nothing at stake. Nothing on the line. And if it, if it blows up and dies, then it just, it's a bad day on the range, you know? Yes. You know, down to, you know, simple things simple. like before we go out for a mission, every mission we did test fires of our weapons. Uh, whether we disassemble them or not, you're going outside the wire, everybody goes from safe to semi or, you know, a Glock doesn't have, and we test fired our guns and reloaded them, gassed them up because that's that last minute confirmation of, even though this worked this morning, 10 minutes ago, whatever, if I'm about mm-hmm. to go into the fray, I'm going to confirm that my stuff works. And you can't do that with brand new equipment. I did that with equipment right. that I trusted, you know, yeah. so why would I take something brand new and be like, I'm going to figure this out today with everybody relying on me in a small team setting. No. And what would you guys I mean, and that's, I'm assuming you guys had a fairly decent op tempo, right? So that's probably fairly often checking through everything, making sure that, like you said, I know it just worked last night or this morning or 10 minutes ago, but you know, how, how often were you guys uh, going out? Um, I mean, it, it depended on what the deployed environment was. Um, uh, my Syria deployment, it was a lot of enabling airstrikes. Um, so we would push out to, you know, different locations, set up a, a, a little cell to be able to control air basically. Um, so like movement and that kind of stuff, like basically hopping around, setting up a forward base upon another forward base to be able to do that, mm-hmm. uh, once every couple of weeks, basically, but we still had to do things like supply runs back and forth. You know, we were a couple hours from, uh, our home base to resupply us. And if weather was bad, they weren't going to fly things out to us. So we had to drive that two and a half hours through, you know, unheld country, so to speak um to do that and every time you do that it's like hey you run through the full uh the full set of checks and everything uh, vehicles are a huge obviously a huge thing and there's so much you can go wrong with a vehicle so there's so oh, much yeah. that goes into just prepping a vehicle the vehicle by itself the guns the optics that are on the vehicle and then go back down to people and i'm talking like everything like you're flicking on your eotech before you go and making sure that you know it brights up and goes dim if you got a night vision setting on it testing your laser making sure batteries are good and then we just had on the corner of our whiteboard when everybody changed batteries last and some of our equipment. So it's like, hey, it's been a week in your laser and, we, and we've we've been humping pretty good. Swap out the batteries now. I was just going to ask because I know EOTechs for a minute had the had some issues uh, yep. with them with them dying and stuff. And I know in general, just because they don't have like the you know auto on off setting like an aim point would or something. Um, yep. How you guys kept track of that? Because I know a lot of people are like, yeah, just change it on your birthday every year. Like that's. Okay. I mean, you could probably, you might need to do a little more often than that, depending, like you said, uh, how, how, um, often you've been running it in the last couple months, in your case week. Right. Um, a lot of those things, lasers, lights, they plow through those little, uh, CR, what is it? CR one, two, threes. One, two, threes. Um, Yeah. Yeah. You plow through those things and, uh, you know, to, I've, you know, be in a class training or, 
God forbid, right out in the wild doing some shit. And then yep. it's like, Hey, um, my dot just went down. I'm like, yep. great. Good. Good job. Asshole. I'm like, you know, change your batteries. No. Do you have spares? No. I think it's one again, of those overlooked things in a kit is just some spare yeah. batteries. Yeah, it's easy. Spare, and all that stuff is weight. You know, it's like I got a spare battery for a radio. I got them for my nods. I got them for four different lights, two optics and two lasers. And it's like this this stuff just piles up. And it's it's just so if something goes down that you don't lose a capability. It's not getting you anything extra. This is just I, I can maintain with the rest of the team by carrying all this extra stuff. You know, right. And and yeah. having and having that um that analog backup, I'll call it having backup iron sights. Um, you know, if you're, you're running a dot on a pistol, you know, cause you're going to shoot under night vision. Well, you better practice shooting under night vision. If the dot goes down, all right, now you're folding night vision up or, or cocking your head and shooting just with iron sights again. Um, so it's like it, it having that, uh, that analog backup for things and then being trained in that also, uh, cause if it goes down, okay, you're, you're only as good as how much you've trained on that backup basically, and how reliable is the primary that you had in the first place. And that's all stuff that goes into your calculus of what am I carrying and why? And to another side, when people uh, talk about mil spec, they're like, oh, mil spec means it sucks. Not necessarily. Mil spec usually means, (laughs) mil spec usually means one, Joe soldier can't break it, or it's going to be hard for him to break it. Um, And two, they got it, uh, uh, you know, on a contract deal that is going to satisfy all these requirements for the cheapest way possible. And that's usually it. Mill spec usually means cheap (laughs) or we're going to have to replace, like you said, we're going to replace it the fewest number of times, which means cheap, you know, on a budgetary standpoint. Yes. And having everything universal, whether it's Gucci shit or not, the cool thing about universality is that I can Mm -hmm. cannibalize parts and pieces from other people's stuff um and through like mil spec type things like i have a, a sig 516s mil spec rifle i only run glocks for pistols not because they're the sexiest or the trigger is the best or the sights are the best all those on glock are, are not great actually um but i have the most reps with that and i view i use and abuse my stuff um mm-hmm. and i know that it lasted all those things lasted through years of use and abuse in the military so i'm comfortable carrying it uh, because not having as, as nice of factory sites on a clock, uh, is less important to me than knowing that I can put it through whatever, and it's going to function because I'm not as hard as my stuff in the civilian side that I was in the military side. Sure. Sure. Well, and, and everybody carried, not everyone, but <clears throat> a lot of people carry Glock. So, um, in the event that you had to utilize this for something other than a training situation, there's a high probability you're going to be able to find, magazines you're going to be able to find you know uh uh springs right or a new trigger bar or you know some kind you'll be able to find sites to replace the shitty factory ones um yes. if you really needed to or really wanted to and i think that's you know a lot of guys get all bent out of shape about that and I know glocks are ugly i get it like i didn't buy mine because of the way it looks i mean i kind of did because i like the way it looks but yeah you know like I think that's one of the reasons that people recommend certain pieces of, of gear, you know, I think, uh, firearms, that's very, uh, especially in pit and handguns, right. That's a big consideration when people say Glock, SIG or Smith is pretty yep. much what you should go with. It's because that's what law enforcement carries and that's, what's mm-hmm. easy to find, you know, yes. whether it's parts, magazines, whatever, like someone to work on it. If you can't work on it. Yep. Yeah. You know, and, um, yeah, don't go out and buy the Beretta that you saw in lethal weapon. Like I almost did <clears throat> bad idea. Um, don't go buy a Taurus cause it's cheap. There's a reason it's cheap. Right. Um, yep. you're not going to find parts, 
because no one wants to sell that shit and then you're just going to be screwed if it breaks. So, um, but I digress. Right. So kind of got real deep into things on the, I don't know, a lot of things, honestly. Um, but I did want to, well, one of the things I saw that you had listed on the site and I do want to make sure I asked about, because sure. it's, I think it's more, it, I don't say more pertinent, but it's especially pertinent to a lot of us is um, you went through urban warfare training or urban yep. warfare school. Um, yep. And a lot of us now, I, you know, kind of as the country has grown, right. Less and less uh, open rural areas and a lot more suburban areas. So can you, what did, what was that like and how, how do you, how do you design? I, I'm sure there's ways for it. Right. But how do you design uh, you know, a school and tactics around specifically, right. Like a, an urban area, um, compared to what they teach, I would assume in like the, um, traditional sense, uh, through, you know, basic training boot camp and stuff where it's, I'd imagine anyways, that it's more designed for out in the open fighting. Yeah. Um, and so, and for like historical reference, basically prior to nine 11 and a lot of our wars in the middle East kind of stuff, our doctrine was based on the last major conflict, which was Vietnam. Right. So very minimal, um, urban setting, anything. Our doctrine was based on patrolling, um, in the woods in a jungle environment. So close engagements, um, stuff needed to be able to withstand a jungle environment. Um, your, your tactics needed to mirror what was going to allow you to survive in a setting where it's going to be close up because you can't see far in the jungle. Um, so it's going to be that type of warfare. Um, shifting into, you know, our global war on terror, um, a lot of our, our CQB, close quarter battle, urban warfare, uh, mount, which is uh, movement over the urban terrain. Um, all of this, we, we paid a lot of lessons, at least from the U.S. perspective, military in blood, uh, invading places like Baghdad or Mosul in Iraq. It's like these are these are cities. Um, and up until that point, we weren't as a military overall, not really purpose built to do that. There's a reason that these high speed black side tier one units um, mm-hmm. do that. And that's some of the only stuff they do. I mean, they're, they're great at a lot of things because they recruit the most talented people in the world, sure. right? Yeah, absolutely. However, you, you take the sharpest knife and you say, you're only going to do this, th- this one thing. So you become surgically precise at it. Um, but when you, when you take it down to a, a soldier level of, hey, we need to clear this city and here's a division of tens of thousands of people, um, you're going to lose a lot of that skill set and you got to think down to the lowest common denominator military age 18 to 21 um and in a regular army unit that kid so to speak has not been through some kind of advanced urban combat training you know um so specifically that one a lot of lessons were learned in blood uh, how to clear hallways different ways to clear rooms um even just movement up to the target right like you got to move through streets in the urban setting which is super sketchy uh i've never uh been in a sustained gunfight in the street uh but it's those moments that the hairs are up on the back of your neck and that doesn't stop yeah. until you're off the street uh you're just like oh i'm at uh like 80 percent switched on right now and and it's just going to stay like this as long as i'm out here um, right so until you come down until you're off of that out of that environment um but yeah like big thing for that one is um urban warfare favors the defender it is always more hazardous for you to enter a structure to go and root out somebody who's in there waiting for you. That might seem really basic, um, but that's, that's just is what it, it is what it is. Um, and from the U.S. perspective, 
we don't do CQB, at least military, right? We don't do CQB on things uh, unless we can't drop a bomb on it. That's that's pretty much like, why would we risk human life if we can grenade sure. or bomb into the room? Which means that there's clearly someone or something in the room that we cannot destroy. So now we have to send people to be able to perform that target discrimination process. So now you're just up to your risk. Uh, and is it worth the reward of going and clearing room by room through hallways, through the city streets, whatever. Um, and that, that's kind of like the, the doctrine and the history of how, the, how you get to, okay, now I'm walking up the street and we're gonna enter and clear this building. Um, whole whole different animal, whole different set of equipment. Um, yeah, I, I don't know if that covered the original question of, of- Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, it's, I'm sure there's differences and probably some similarities between the skills that, you know, you talked a lot about how terrain and mapping your, um, your presence right in the woods. Yeah. Um, I'm sure there's similarities in an urban environment, right? It, it, albeit different. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's, that's the kind of stuff that I think it's super practical to, to learn that, to teach more of it, especially because, you know, like you said, um, the last major conflict, right. That the U S had, and this is strictly from a military lens was, was Vietnam. Now, you do kind of wonder, or maybe I wonder, right. Uh, having read some books and obviously seen the movie on black Hawk down battle of Somalia, a lot of guys weren't super well versed in a lot of the close quarters, uh, skills, you know, and I'd even read in that. And I don't know if you've had the opportunity to actually read the book about it or not. Um, the Delta guys actually taking the Rangers and trying to teach them in the shoot house that they made there, you know, how, this is some of the CQB stuff that we do and everything and having uh, a superior, right. Which I think it was the guy that Jason Isaac plays in the movie that yeah. could be wrong, but uh, coming down on them because, you know, we don't, you don't need to be learning that shit there. You're not going to be doing that. That's not your job. You don't need to know. Um, yeah. We know how that all sadly uh, ended, right. Because history and, and, you know, um, but then even on the, you take it out of that lens and look at it from a civilian perspective, you know, uh, for a lot of people, the question always, the question always is, well, why do you need to know how to do that? Right. Sure. Why do you need these skills? Um, or my, my favorite ones are on the internet when you see people from other countries, like, I don't know what's up with you Americans and why you guys need to do this. It's like, well, fuck off. Um, yep. but <laughs> like you're saying you can't drop a bomb cause there's something vital in there that you need to get someone, yep. something, whatever. Right. In a lot of instances, that's somebody's wife, that's someone's yep. kids, you know? Um, so from a law enforcement standpoint, very applicable. From yes. a home defense standpoint, very applicable. I think most people, given the choice of, do I want to go in there and get that guy? Or would I just rather wait out here for like, you know, 80 law enforcement to show up? I think most of us would just rather wait for police to show up and not have to worry about, worry about it personally. Unfortunately, I think we don't always get that luxury. And yep. that, that personal accountability, uh, comes into play there. You know, yes. are you, how effective can you be as that? I'm not going to use the term sheepdog. Cause I, I fucking hate that. Uh, I absolutely hate when people throw that around. Um, but if you're going to be that protector, right. For your family, for your friends, yep. your neighbor community, um, that stuff's all really important, whether you're, mm-hmm. it's a different skill set, right. In urban areas versus, um, rural areas. And, uh, like I said, some, some overlap, um, but kind of jumping off from that, then at what point did you decide that you were going to, the training, right. That starting your company was the next step for you. Cause it, 
it sounds like you'd, you'd seen a bunch and you'd done mm-hmm. a lot of things. Um, what, what point did you decide that, Hey, I, this is, this is important and people need to know. Yeah. Um, so as SF, your traditional mission set, right. Stemming from Vietnam when officially founded and they gave us hats and tabs and all that stuff was training. Um, a lot of fifth group specifically trained the mountain yards, the, the Vietnamese resistance uh, to resist the North Vietnamese uh, to run, uh, you know, more or less what you'd call like the peasant farmer type resistance. It's like mm-hmm. you're going in, you're going to live among the locals. You're going to train them on, on weapons that you can get to them may not be like the weapons you have um, see how they sustain in daily life and then mirror that. Cause that's how they're going to be successful in combat. They live here. They've lived here for however long they've survived up until the combat point. So you teach them the combat point, but learn from them the lifestyle point of this environment. Um, so all that said, that's what a lot of times, unless we are doing like kinetic type operations, we're training the partner uh, overseas. Like here's how you clear a room. Here's how you spot for an airstrike. Here's how you set up a mortar. Um, and, uh, I really enjoyed that piece of it because as far as being a cog in the military and the government machine, 100%. Uh, that's one of the hardest realizations in a position like that. Like you, you're still expendable. You're still a number. Um, you're still executing yeah. policy that, that, you know, a senior government official thinks is best. Right. Um, so <laughs> it, it, like, man, so what I, my, my victory in the whole thing were those small interactions with partners or even our own military, you know, junior conventional guys, like they come out and be our security force. It's like, Hey, let, let me talk you through how to use the mills on this scope or how to determine distance or, you know, Hey, here's how to clear this funky corner in this building we just came out of, but being able to spread that knowledge, because what I really enjoyed um, being on the team and being around the guys that I was, was everybody's extreme sense of accountability and ownership um, over everything they did. Um, you were, you were responsible to each other because a small element ODA, uh, SF team is only 12 guys doctrinally. Um, so okay. one guy goes down or one guy isn't proficient, o- almost 10% of your force. And you just can't, it doesn't work. Um, you don't, yeah. you don't get a day off when you're 10% of the, of the critical staff. Um, right. and I really enjoyed, like I said, teaching the partners and working around people that had that extreme sense of accountability, um, and they were able to have that sense of accountability because they were trained and proficient in a lot of stuff. It wasn't like, hey, someone else is going to do that or, hey, I'm not good at that. Someone else do it. Most of the guys are like, get, get people out of the way. It's like, who's mm-hmm. not doing this? And if I don't know how, like, teach me how so I can accomplish it. You know, that like, give me this and I will run with it because someone else is not running good enough with it um, and be able to give that to the public. You know, people from whatever side of the aisle you want to talk about, I really don't care. Um but that's hard are, to find. that that work ethic that attitude it's even i mean i had the, I, it's funny because i had this conversation literally this afternoon with somebody and i work in finance about as far away from what you're talking about uh but the same things like hey so and so is great if they don't know what's going on they don't just pass the buck until someone else picks it up they'll okay i don't know what this is teach me how to do it i don't want to not know how to do this anymore i need to make sure that if this comes up again I know, or at the very, you know, at the very least, I know who to get, you know, the customer in touch with, or, you know, and they, they don't, they don't let shit just sit there, you know, and wait for somebody else to do it. Like you're saying, it's, it's a character trait and it, it yeah, it, it's hard. It's hard to find, man. Absolutely. And, and it's, it's hard to find, I think, because people a lot of times don't have something they feel passionately enough about to own it. 
you know, most people, they go to work and they're like, this is where I work and what I do. And maybe they want to do a good job and that's fine. Right. But until you really give someone something and say, this is yours and they've accepted that that's what that is. Um, you know, that's a lot of what the Q course is, you know, they put you through a ton of training, ton of reps and a lot of suffering. So you all get into a mindset of there's not going to be someone to blame on this. And my buddies who I'm close with, even just in training, you know, we all went to different places, um, <laughs> could get injured or die. Um, and, and that's the, the grim part of it, but it's true. You know, it's like the only thing way I can describe it is other people with their families, if they don't have a really tight knit tribe like that, that isn't their blood. And it's like, and if you feared for that person being hurt, being injured, being wronged by someone, do something illegal, hurt in a fire, hurt in a car crash. I'm like, there's so many, there's so many very simple tasks you can do at your sandwich clamps here and teach someone in a 30 minute section that mitigates, you know, most of your daily life situations that could end in someone getting injured, getting killed, getting taken from you early in life. And it's yeah. like, man, this is all, this <clears throat> is all really simple stuff. And if I can master a bunch of it and give that to people, ultimately it's a selfish thing, right? In my head, in my utopian society head, if I teach enough people medical stuff and my wife gets in a car accident one day and there's someone that I taught with a tourniquet in their door in traffic, and yeah. they are the one that puts on a tourniquet and saves her like, holy shit, like time well invested. If you're not going to invest time. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and, and that's to me, like, you know, and from a, a philosophical, now is a philosophizer, a philosophical yeah. perspective, um, a safer and knowledgeable society that's more confident isn't dangerous. They don't fear stuff. They don't do out, outrageous outlandish stuff because they fear something. They're like, I got it. You know, that the whole, you know, like martial arts, the black belt in the room is not worried about getting his ass kicked. And usually that guy right. is like, I'm going to deescalate until I'm pushed right up to the wall against the edge. Yeah. So it's like, but because he has that knowledge and experience in those reps, he can control that situation, but can wait up until it's pushed to that point. It's the same with any other skill. I'm like, someone who's knowledgeable and skilled in a whole bunch of stuff to increase survivability they're not worried about stuff happening per se because they've war gamed it out. They've planned it. They said, I've, I've either seen this in the military, seen this in combat, seen this in a law enforcement first responder or someone watching videos. They're like, man, this guy says he saw a lot of people injured said, this is good stuff to carry. Well, until I see someone injured, I guess I have to go off of that. Right. And then prep and do that, you know, cause what, how you can't own that situation otherwise. And like the worst feeling, you know, you got to have is something going badly and knowing that you maybe could have done something about it with 15 minutes of training or even, you know, spending your time, even if it's just on YouTube, watching another skill, at least you've seen it, you know, yeah, it, you it's have some, more than zero. Yeah. You have some idea as to how to appropriately respond or, or react to this short of <laughs> running around and screaming and, and hoping yeah. someone else is going to, you know, take responsibility and step up and, and own whatever's, whatever's going on. Um, no, absolutely. That's, that's awesome. I mean, so Talk about talk about starting a business because <clears throat> uh, oh man I know that's uh, super easy to do and uh, not hard work at all. Man, the uh, the business stuff is going to be a journey right up until the end, and I'm a whopping two years into it. Um, the, the the easy part, far and wide, is doing the hood stuff with your friends in the woods, teaching that stuff. I'm like, just yep. get me out there, let me do it, coach. Um, and and that was something that I tossed around early on. It's like, well, why don't I just find a company and and join a training team and it's like no no like 
do this business thing so you have it and control the direction it goes and control the narrative. You don't have to worry about politics. Like you make the rules and you decide who you teach, which for me is everybody. Um, and and I, I wanted that ability to control that. It's like, this is this is my thing again, that ownership. And But now I will give it away in the way that I know works. Um, but yeah, the, <laughs> yeah, the business part, it, it's a lot of stuff. The business world is a is a whole other it's environment. Like 10% of the, yeah, it's like 10% of the fun stuff and 90% of the shit that no one wants to do or deal with. And uh, being in charge, you know, everyone I've talked to, everyone, yes. uh, it, it sucks. You know, we had uh, Jessica Hazelar on. She runs uh, Eclipse Holsters, which is a, a partner of ours. And she goes, if you would have told me nine years ago, everything that I was going to go through to do this, I would have never have done it. Yes. And people don't realize it, you know, it's tough. And I mean, I, I definitely understand what you're saying. Cause I'm very much the same way where it's like, I don't call it, a, I don't think it's a control freak mentality. It's just that you have, if you have this vision for what you want to do, right. Yep. Um, like who you want to teach, what you want to teach, how you want to teach it. Um, you know, and you want to see it carried out that way. I mean, do more power to you. Like that's, you know, you got to own it. Right. Yeah. And you, you got to deal with all the, all the shit that comes with it. And it comes with being in charge. Um, but, you know, hey, it, it, it is yours and it's yes. what you want to do and everything. Um, and that's I, and I don't think that's a dig on guys that do just join up with their buddy's company or whatever. No, no, I no. think um, honestly, I give people like that a lot of credit. If you know that you are not. You're not that kind of individual that's that wants to step up and run some. It's like, you know, again, like I work in finance, these people that. Mm-hmm they let themselves be pushed into a supervisory role um, where they're responsible for, uh, you know, mentoring and, and developing people professionally. And they're just awful at it. And you talk to them like, yeah, I never really wanted to do this. It's like, then why the fuck are you here? Like, Hey, and you're great at what you do. You're super smart. You're passionate about this stuff. You're a tremendous resource, but you are not someone that's going to take you know, Johnny come lately that walked in the door and in two years, get them to, you know, the next step, the next position, whatever. Um, unfortunately, you know, I've been in both, in both situations. I've had some great mentors and I've had some people that were, what I'll say were tremendous resources, but not at all, you know, a good mentor. But I guess I'm trying to say with that is like, I, I get it, you know, and it makes sense, you know, I guess jumping on somebody else's bandwagon is kind of the easy way out, you know, just because yeah, you, know, you, you can focus people. on the easy stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And it's something I would tell people, you know, like I want to make some extra money. Should I start a business? No, no, you'll spend money no. for a long time. <laughs> yes. And it's like, it, you know, I, I try to explain that, you know, I'm not, I'm not a finance wizard either. I try and keep my own personal finances straight. Um, mm-hmm. And then like not having bills, not having extraneous spending, you know, having things paid off, investing money, paying off a house, whatever, all these things. Um, Anyways, telling people it's like make extra money. And it's like for you to start something, like I said, take so much of your own money and time, you're going to lose for sure. Um, mm-hmm. That's just, that's how that goes. That's the cool part. Yeah. You can write off losses, but you still lost it. That's how that is. Versus, yeah, you know, ask somebody. So long. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It's gone. Exactly. Oh, I wrote it off. It, you, it's still gone. You just, yeah. you just chose how you spent it. Um, but yeah, telling people it's like, go work a part-time job if you really want just some extra spending cash. Go and fall in on someone else's infrastructure, their insurance, their books, all the things you have to do as the business owner. Go have someone else do that shit for you and show up for four hours every Saturday. And if you're a skilled person, maybe you make 50, 60, 80, 200 bucks an hour for four hours. And then you leave. Yeah. And great, you collect your paycheck, but you have to know that 
you're subject to those person's rules and what's going on. And as long as you're good with that, rock on with your bad self and do that. Um, but yeah, it, maybe the, the OCD thing, maybe the drive thing of like, I it, it needs to be mine. Otherwise, if it's messed up, I'm just going to sit here and say, this guy's messing it up. I'm one of those people through and through, you know, it yeah, doesn't I, matter. <laughs> I get it. I, I've been told by, uh, I've been told by supervisors, managers, whatever in the past, I <clears throat> lack the, how, how did, how'd she put it? And she's a great lady. Uh, but she'd tell me all the time, you lack the empathy or you need to work on the empathy to understand that not everybody looks at things the way you do. Yep. I'm like, you know, no matter how many times you tell me that it never gets easier for me to hear. Like it yep. still fires me up when I'm, you know, it, it, you know, it just, and for years, I always just tied it to like the way I was raised, like my, my mm-hmm. father's work ethic and everything. And I'm sure that that's definitely a part of it. You know, your environment and everything as a child when you're developing, but you know, it takes just as long to do something right as it does to do it wrong. You know what I mean? Yep. And that's what just, it drives me. And cause at least in my world, but more often than not, that's it, right? People take shortcuts. They try to shortchange it. They try to half-ass it and they got to come back and someone's got to redo it. Yes. And professionally speaking, at least in my world, it's usually never the one that fucked up the first time. It's always somebody else coming back. They find out what you fucked up. So now they got to fix it and yep. then, you know, go do whatever else the, you know, needs to be done. And the customer called in for this. So I got to spend two hours fixing what you jacked up and then an hour doing whatever, you know what I mean? Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, <clears throat> yeah. I, 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 yeah, I lack empathy for uh, people that don't see the world through my lens. I, I 110% get it. It's, yeah. I think it's a, I think it's a skill set personally. That's how I look at it. I wish more people, <laughs> you know, obviously looked at it that way. Um, so you started the business, you said two, two years ago. Yep. 2020. Yep. Filed for the, uh, yep. Oh, not like anything was going on in the world during 2020. You know, it's funny. Yes. We had uh, Devin Soto on. Uh, he's a former ranger. He runs tactical cowboy training. And yep. uh, he did the same thing. He's like, yeah, two months later, COVID hit. Boom. I'm like, ah, nice. Good job. <laughs> you know, and <laughs> I, I mean, if you can laugh at it now, that's all that really matters. Because I'm, I'm sure things are a lot better today than they were then. Right. Um, <clears throat> so what are you guys doing now in terms of uh, curriculum? Um, instructors talk a little bit about, uh, you know, what survive first contact is as a company, you know, fast forward past the, the founding point. Yeah. Um, so basically just like on my little symbol there, like kind of three facets, I kind of want to divide it up between, um, you know, the SF arrow. So like, you know, combat related, uh, my cross for medical and then the fire for like the field craft stuff. Um, being able to, to offer a portion of each of those parts of training, um, again, mm-hmm. was all was all kind of forged in the I'm out in the fray with a handful of my dudes and a whole bunch of locals. And how do I how do I sustain through this whole thing? And it's not just cool guy gunfighting stuff. It's actually a lot more of the other stuff. Uh, yeah. That was the way a boss described it to me. It's like, hey, do you like doing survival stuff? You like doing medical? And it's like, no. And it's like, well, you have to be proficient in all that stuff if you want the chance to go shoot somebody because you have to <laughs> be able to do that to be out there in the environment where there's somebody maybe to shoot. That's a really good way to put it. Yeah. So it's like, if you, if you can't do anything but shoot, uh, you're staying back. I'm, you're not useful to me. And by the way, there's several other varsity units that shoot better than you. So what are you doing here? If you can't yeah. be the jack of all trade, at least, or the way I like to call army SF is like the sweaty already used piece of duct tape. That's like slapped onto something. And you're like, Hey, we have this thing and it sticks to most stuff. Not, not for forever, but like, 
we need an answer now. We need to get it there quickly in a small footprint. Yeah. Um, and we need something that kind of sticks to everything. And with a, a group of guys that is just haughty enough to say yes to most things, even if they don't know how to do it. Um, that's that's right, what right. I said. So here's the problem. Boy, we're not sure if this is going <laughs> to stick or for how long. It's like, it's up there, man. Keep rolling. Um, yeah. So t- teaching at every facet of that uh, is what I enjoy in the company. And fast forward, ideally, we got a couple of years until wifey hits her 20 years in the army and retires. Uh, so right now, my biggest hurdle, personally and professionally, is having to move every two years. Um, oh, well, yeah, that's going to be a little tough. Yeah. So like, for example, locally, um, I can't run classes at my local range because I can't do business there as a member. Um, so that's really restrictive. So I either need to use private venues or there's another range that's up and coming um, from a like-minded guy, uh, but he just built a facility and still has to clear basically woods to set up a range. So oh, I'm figuring okay. about by the time uh, that's all set up, I'll have to move again. Uh, the wife and I are probably headed to Hawaii, you know, so sad for us. Um, but yeah, our final assignment before she hits years 17, 18, maybe closer to 20, mm-hmm. uh, we'll have to move. Um, so setting up the infrastructure to make this to make this more self-sustaining is, is the hurdle right now because we can't physically be anywhere. Um, yeah, putting down roots and, and is more to the other, Yeah, and, and, to, and to the other part of it, you know, I could quit my day job now and travel and train, and I would enjoy training people. Um, but, you know, part of the reason I left the high op tempo of SF when I left, I deployed every year for six months of the year for four years in a row. And you do schools on your back deployments, on your back time. Right. Uh, so you're just away a lot in that high op tempo. And I get it. And that's what I joined for. And I did that. Um, but being being away from her now on purpose, if it was, I don't want to say just for training people, because it is important and impactful. Um, yeah. yeah. But I, I can still put information out on here. I can run local classes. I, I, more than anything else, I've run medical classes. Uh, I need minimal facilities to do it. That's huge, because I feel like that is the hardest shit to find. Like, mm-hmm. it is impossible to find medical classes. You can find, I mean... Quality is always questionable, but you can find a lot of people teaching shooting, um, yes. trying to teach tactics, whatever. Dude, find at least here in Michigan where I'm at, uh, I know of one place that offers any kind of medical training, and it's not even that. I think it's like one class per business quarter. Yeah. And it's the most applicable shit out there. Like, yes. hey, <clears throat> you don't like guns? Cool. Don't buy a gun. Here, buy this first aid kit, keep it in your car. And then yes. take this class and we're going to teach you how to save somebody's you know, life because you know how to treat a laceration, know how to apply a tourniquet, know how to, you know, fill in the blank, whatever. That's yep. awesome. Like that, that is actual impactful shit. Um, yep. that, or, you know, people need, they need to know that stuff. And it's not, you know, like you said, it's not the cool, <clears throat> the cool guy to a high speed, low drag, you know, yep. operator shit, but uh, it's probably the most important. Yes. And, and that's, and that's full disclosure, right? There's, that's one thing about being a professional in a community of professionals, you know, what size fish you are in relation to everybody else. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like, you look at like, you know, truly professional shooters, like Rob Latham, you know, Springfield, or you look at these guys that served in superior units, like Mike Glover and Pat McNamara. It's like, man, like you, you're going to learn to like shoot surgically, like go to one of those dudes, you know, there's no, no qualms about saying, Hey, you got 600 bucks burning a hole in your pocket and you want the best, go to that dude. That dude's going to outshoot me and out knows me. He's older than me. He's more experienced. I can get you from zero to 40. They can get you from 40 to hundred. You know, that's, that just is what it is. Um, but with things like the survival and the medical stuff, it's, it's more applicable to like a huge realm of people. You know, my first medical class I ran, 
the guy that was visibly most into it uh, was because he was a professional tree cutting guy. So it's like, oh, really? he's like, hey, man, he's like, I know what you did was dangerous. But think about this. I crank up a chainsaw that's hanging on my belt dozens of times a day while I'm suspended 40 feet in the air. I'm like, oh, yeah, way more hazardous than most of my deployments all put together. And you're doing this every day. Yeah, no, I had a buddy that did that. Um, and yeah, nope. Uh, he definitely like, and not even with the chainsaw, he doesn't even take the chainsaw. He exploded the tip of a finger, uh, closing a gate after bringing down a tree and stuff. I mean, they, those guys and the stories, it's just, it's crazy. Um, but that's, it just proves the point, right? Like that, those are the skills that really make, make a fucking difference. I mean, and judging off the site, I know you guys still offer the other stuff too. You know, um, but I honestly, I think that you know, zero to 40, I think yeah. the people that are operating in that zero to 40 space, um, and I, I use the, the term operating very loosely, right. But yeah, it's functioning. They, yeah. Whatever it is. Yeah. They, that live in that, that space are, there's way more of them than people that are ready to pick up at that 40 mark up, you know, um, mm-hmm. people that, that buy a firearm and they go, mm-hmm. you know, uh, okay, well, it's just going to live in the nightstand if I ever need it. Like that's not that that's not somebody that's going to really, I think, benefit from, like you said, one of those super high tier classes, nor would they seek it out. Yeah. Um, but yeah, from a volume standpoint, like you said, if you train enough people, that could be somebody that, you know, saves your wife in a car accident or something. That's it's just a, if not more, it's just as if not more impactful to teach, yeah. you know, in that space. Um, and technically from a volume standpoint, it could be more lucrative, you know, but yeah. that's not really the point, but just yes. something worth noting. <laughs> um, but I think that's, that's awesome. So what are, what are you guys working on now? I know you see you're kind of, you know, the moves coming, right? So yeah. um, we're kind of coming up to the end here of, of our time. So what's, what's kind of like next for you guys? Um, as far as what's next, I, I've gone through and kind of shored up. Um, some of the more advanced classes that I could offer, you know, carbine pistol, um, going through like more scenario based medical stuff, mixing the medical stuff into like some of the, like the actual range stuff say, Hey, like, this is where this is going to happen. If you are planning for this event and you're, you're going to be the guy who charges into a gunfight for whatever it is. Good on you. If you're going to do that for your community, but no, if bullets Mm -hmm. are flying, someone's going to get injured. That's, that's how it goes. You're either shooting someone or someone's shooting you. That's the only way that situation is usually ending. Someone's going to get shot. Um, yeah. so having those additional skills and then, um, trying to put together a video series here, going through some land nav stuff, it, it's kind of tough with, you know, just a camera and myself explaining it, um, and with military training aids versus civilian ones. Uh, so I'm trying to hash through, um, getting my hands on, on civilian topographic maps and making sure that I can communicate, Hey, if you don't have a military MGRS map, um, and you don't have this protractor that's made for it, here's yeah. how you do all the same things. You- so if yeah. you can find an actual good resource for civilian topographic maps, that in itself would get you a bunch of attention because I sort of God, it's like, it's like fucking finding a unicorn. And if you find one, like capture it so we can study it because you, you just, you can't, uh, yeah. you know, and if there are places that do it, they put up a huge paywall and you sure. don't even know what you're getting on a lot of them. So you're like, I'm not paying $38 for a map that I don't even know if your grid lines are going to be right. Or you like, yes. fuck it. No. Um, so that, that there on its own is huge. So yeah. if you figure it out, let us, let us all know, because that's going to yeah, be big. <laughs> I, I've had, I haven't ordered them yet. Um, 
but the guy Paul, he actually works uh, with the Orion Training Group guys. His handle is Red Hand. Used to be Kydex, yeah. now it's Redacted. Um, Paul has had good luck with the, uh, I believe it's the My Topo website. And the reason he uses that is because you can order if they have a map and they have imagery or, or Topo features set up for the area you're asking for. They will actually print you a map um, on MGRS at the scale that you're asking for. Um, wow. So it. It depends on the area. Um, he's he's uh, near me in Richmond in the area they have, he has covered in his parents' place where they own some property uh, in the mountains and he has that mapped out. So he can use all his military stuff with that map that is just mapped for the area. And I don't expect everybody to, you know, I'm gonna have a military map for everywhere in the world, but you own property, you own a home that you're gonna be there. Yeah, um, you can grab it for you know your home. If you have a vacation property, like you, you can get it down to two or three pretty easily just yeah. you know like logically looking at it and figuring yeah. out which ones are most important yeah and then from that you know like the whole bug out perspective like realistically where is everybody going and it's still probably going to be in that bubble somewhere realistically mm-hmm. unless you know you're into an extreme i don't know like a nuclear situation or something you have to drive hundreds of miles and then figure it out but for the most part if something happens most people your best chance of survivability is staying where you are because you have shelter and then defend that eat out of there, sleep out of there, all this stuff. So ha- having a map of the immediate area and then at a minimum, having something like a roadmap in your car, you know, it's like most people don't, it's, I think I spent 30 bucks on a, a 2020 or 2021 road atlas that has every state in the union and that's just in my seat back. And if, if all goes to hell, I can trace my little Popeye finger and say, yep, I'm right here and I need to go here. It's, well, it's a lot really of it, you stuff. Can, if you even just stop, like here we have rest stops here in Michigan, but a lot of them, they give out maps for free. Yeah. Like just pick one up or go to your local, you know, it used to be, I think AAA used to give them out. I don't know if they, in the technical age, they still do it, but like, even if I know I bought a nicer one from Barnes and Noble for like eight bucks, you know, yeah. of the whole state and the highways, like have a fucking paper map. Like we were talking about earlier, right. Have an analog solution to back you up when the phone dies or the cell service goes out or you're just in a dead zone, whatever. Yeah, no, absolutely. So the land nav piece. And then the last thing I'll say that, um, I'm, I'm getting to working on, I'd really like to be able to pitch something that uh, is mission planning and maybe not, um, you know, geared around, okay, you're doing all these military activities, but where, where SF and some like more superior units make their money um, in operations is mission planning. And a big part of that is hashing out all the contingencies, all the stuff that can go wrong, and then risk mitigation, you know, at any field, especially business it's all about risk mitigation. What am I doing? That's, you know, positive pushing things forward. And then what can take away from me? What's going to change my plan? What's going to change my calculus of what I do next? And then wargaming that. So I I think I'm going to push into um, setting up a very basic planning class and then how to set up for contingencies because it applies everywhere. You know, if you can, if you can walk the dog and how you want to accomplish something um, and then inject contingencies in here, what ifs and the whys of what you're doing, you can wargame it and then either purchase stuff or purchase training or both in whatever field you're talking about to say, yeah. hey, you know, I'm extreme ownership responsibility of whatever this task is that I'm doing. And I've taken the time to walk the dog enough to say, here's all the things that could affect this. And here's all the ways I've put up walls uh, to make it not like this is my castle, you know, but for whatever exactly. activity that you're doing. And it, it really applies for like survival and preparedness kind of stuff, but it applies for the rest of the world. You know, can you think? three steps ahead. Um, and, you know, in a stressful situation, having the plan is going to allow you to execute stuff. Cause when you're critically stressed, unless you've done it thousands of times, you're not going to figure things out. Yeah. When yeah. Blood is being pushed away from your brain. That's just, that's not how we work. 
Um, so having a plan and then ideally having reps and rehearsing things. Um, you, you know, they say that the, the, the planning rule, one third, two thirds, if you had all this time to get ready to do something, spend one thirds planning and two thirds rehearsing. Mm-hmm. Like, do that, you know? Yeah, you set yourself up for success. Yes. Yeah, definitely. So, awesome. Yeah, that's, I think that's kind of the future. So we'll see. <laughs> Good stuff, brother. Hey, uh, really quick, uh, would you believe we're actually coming up in like an hour and a half? But um, oh, man. yeah, I know the time flies. Uh, before we wrap it, can you just tell everybody, you know, where they can find you on, on social media online, if they want to, you know, find more of your content or, or find where you're running classes, things like that. Yep. Um, so the website just survivefirstcontact.com. disclaimer, I built the website sitting in my basement, listening <laughs> to people with heavy accents, explain to me how to do things with WordPress. Uh, so the website isn't sexy, but it, it puts out there what it needs to. And then between um, Facebook and Instagram, it's just survive first contact. My symbol's on there. Um, you'll see me. Um, fret not if I'm ranting about something that day. I tend to do that sometimes. Uh, just a fiery person. And I want to do good, but sometimes it's overshadowed by some of that haughtiness and, and whatever. But yeah, Facebook, Instagram, the website. Uh, the website automatically links uh, to my email address, which is just josh at survivefirstcontact.com. Um, if it's not evident. I'm a pretty open book and I'll share whatever I can. Um, people should have the information. People can send me emails or direct messages through Instagram or Facebook, whatever. I really try and get back to it. Probably one of my flaws, my wife fusses at me. She's like, how are you still texting people on social media? I'm like, this guy asked a question about wet weather bags and he's about yeah. to go hike the Appalachian Trail and I don't want him to die. And she's like, just, just watch the office. You know, it's nine o'clock on a Tuesday. Like, relax. You don't understand. This is important. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. <clears throat> You know, so, but yeah. yeah, that's me. And that's where, uh, and if you're in the Virginia area or people have uh, a place that they're willing to host, I'm definitely available weeknights and can travel on weekends, you know, within a, a quick driving distance of central Virginia, mm-hmm. not nothing to, you know, drive three, four hours to build a pitch training somewhere and come home or get a hotel for a night. Definitely not opposed to that. Um, but like I said, it's just, it's difficult for me for, with the venue with being able to move. So if someone's like, Hey man, we got six people in a venue. Can you come do this? I'll put it together a la carte and see what people are willing to pay for based off what the tasks are. And I'll drive or fly my happy ass out there and we'll do it. Like, here's all of it. Tell me what you want. I'll build it and say, just price work for all of you. Let's do it. Cool. No, that's awesome, man. That's absolutely awesome. Uh, thanks for coming on. Thanks for making the time. I know you got you know a bunch of stuff going on and everything. Uh, I, this has been great. I've learned a ton. Uh, I'm sure the listeners have as well. So, uh, so thank you sincerely. Uh, and we're, we're going to be in touch. Uh, hopefully in the next yeah, couple of months here, we can do this again and see where, you, you know, where you're at and what's going on. Yeah, man. Appreciate having me on, you know, throw up some exposure. And then I said, you or anybody else just hit me up. Like I said, you seen, I'm pretty user-friendly just trying to put it out there. So you're sitting on the toilet and texting, shoot me something. What about this? And I'll do my best to answer it. And we'll go from there. Definitely. All right, man. Take care. All right. That was Josh Derringer of Survive First Contact LLC. Outstanding conversation. Learned so much talking to Josh and just what a great dude. Like I, I you know, I say it after every one of these and I, I really I'm gonna keep saying it. So blessed to be able to connect with such just, you know, awesome individuals uh and, and share their passion and and learn from them. Uh, by running these discussions and this podcast. It's absolutely awesome. If you guys aren't following Josh, check, definitely check him out. You know, his YouTube channel, uh, his Facebook, his Instagram, check out the website, Survive First Contact LLC. He's got a lot to share and we're all going to be better for it.
<clears throat> so I hope you guys uh, really enjoyed that one. Uh, like I said, I, I certainly did. We, we got to talk on, uh, you know, recon and, you know, the difference between sniper and designated marksman uh, and, you know, just, just so many things, field craft, all kinds of stuff that uh, I, I don't think I've ever really had the opportunity to dive into with a guest before on this podcast. So a couple firsts, and uh, I'm definitely going to be looking to bring uh, Josh back on as a guest in the future uh, and and do more of this. I hope, like I said, I hope you guys really, you know, enjoyed it and, and learned something from it. So um, that that's that's it for this week. And that's all I got. I don't know what else to say. Uh, if you guys aren't already following us on, you know, Spotify, Google, uh, Apple Podcasts, we're on Podvine now too, you know, uh, if you guys aren't following us, go ahead and hit that follow button, subscribe. It really, really helps us out and drive some numbers that really do some things to, to definitely help us. And, you know, tell your friends about us, you know, hey, check out this podcast that I, that I listen to. Uh, you know, I think you might really like it. Anything you guys can do to help, it, it really, it really does help us out here. And we really, really appreciate it. All right. Uh, that's, that's all from me for this week. Uh, I'll be back next week. We'll have more coming at you guys. So stay tuned. But until then, you guys get out there work hard, train smarter, and like we always say here, be prepared. 